Well, this morning, let's, let's just jump right into this thing. Uh, we're starting a brand new series called Life Together, where for the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring these uh, topics of community, friendship, and the people of God. We're going to be in this for four weeks and then may pick it up at a later date later this year. But uh, the young adult, senior adult breakfast is going to be a part of this. Uh, Matt Tistammer, the pastor of our military ministry, is going to be in the mix in two weeks. He lives and breathes this stuff, you guys. So don't miss that. Going to be a rich series, but uh, we're starting it this morning. And as we prepare... Uh, for this series. Let's quiet ourselves and let's center ourselves before the Lord as we always do. And let's close our eyes and be still. And any part of us that has gone rogue this week and that has drifted or has grown cold or grown preoccupied, now's the chance. Come up under the kingdom again. Come to the good shepherd. Come to the father, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator of our very souls. So let's be still for a moment in his presence and invite him and welcome him here. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm reminded of the psalmist when he says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like that of a weaned child. And we do that this morning. Father, we lay our ambitions at the cross We lay our pursuits of life at the cross. We do not set our eyes on uh, career advancement and let that be the orbital gravity of our lives, but we set our eyes on you and we recognize that this season of life that we're in today, the opportunities at work, the opportunities at school, the opportunities in relationships and family, uh, we recognize that this is your season And that ministry is right in front of us. So would you help us to be faithful with what's in our hands and what's in our laps and what's on the table for us? And I pray that uh, we'd be those who seek your kingdom every given day in the seasons of life we're in, in the glamorous and in the mundane. Let it be so. And I pray that this morning, as we begin our series, and as we set up under your scriptures, as we do every single week, would you teach us? Would you instruct us? Holy Spirit, would you guide us into all truth? And may the seed of the word of God fall on the good soil of our hearts and let it bear fruit. And in doing so, uh, prove ourselves to be your disciples and bring glory to your name. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the young adult said, amen. Okay, we're going to jump right in here. Um, to Hebrews 10. This is going to be our working text for this morning. Hebrews, my gosh. I mean, the writer of Hebrews is a theological beast. Uh, The anonymous author, scholars still don't know who really wrote this. Uh, Some propose Paul, but Pauline authorship is really up for debate. Some propose Luke. Uh, Some propose Apollos. Uh, Some even propose Priscilla, that a woman wrote this 
uh, epistle and kept the authorship anonymous uh, because a female writer of the day would not have been received well. I don't believe it was Priscilla. I personally believe it was Luke. But um, the author of Hebrews, my gosh, goes into theological beast mode. And in writing the letter to the Hebrews, first, the author is very concerned of the spiritual state of his audience. Uh, the audience in the church uh, that, they were, that the author was writing to was in danger of relapsing back into Judaism, uh, living life and, and drawing their salvation under the law and not under the complete atonement and salvific work of Jesus Christ. And um, they were in danger of doing so because ultimately they had grown slack in their faith. Anybody been there before? Where you just grow a little salty, you grow a little rough around the edges, you, you're just on autopilot, you're coasting a bit. That's where the church, uh, the people who received the letter to the Hebrews were at. They had drifted in their faith, they had grown slack. And so the first nine chapters of Hebrews, we see this author um, beautifully and profoundly explicate the complete and total redemptive work of Jesus. The greater than is the theme of the first nine chapters of Hebrews. Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus is greater than Moses. Uh, Jesus' ministry is greater than that of the high priest. Jesus has a greater than and supreme ministry. And after that theological groundwork is laid, then the writer of Hebrews moves on to talking about how now uh, ought we to live. In light of Jesus' supremacy and in light of his complete ministry, uh, how are we as individuals and the church corporate to live and move and have our being? And one of the central components to this life that the writer is encouraging and challenging uh, and provoking his audience into really uh, centers around life together, centers around community. And it's this charge in uh, really throughout Hebrews to continue to press into life together. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 10, specifically uh, verses 19 to 25, when the author says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful and he says, here's how we do this. Some, uh, this translation, the ESV, doesn't really show this super well. But there are other translations that make it clear. Here is how we hold fast to the confession of faith. Here is how we hold true to this faith that has been passed down to us. First through Jesus, then the apostles, and now our teachings. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, all the more, as you see the day drawing near, that is the second return 
of Christ. In the writer's understanding, there is a profound connection between the life of faith and the gathering of the body of believers. Uh, there's a profound connection between holding fast to our salvation and continually pressing into community. And that actually community and life together is intricately bound up in this journey of faith that we've been taken on. Uh, we see this understanding again in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, just a few chapters earlier, Hebrews 3.13, when it says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Don't worry about tomorrow. This writer is echoing the teachings of Jesus. Uh, As long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Are you catching this? The connection between encouragement and the soft heart. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, with the understanding that salvation is moment and process. Salvation is conversion and justification, but also sanctification. This salvation we can trust, there is a finished work of the cross that upon confessing Jesus as Lord, we will be saved. The writer of Romans, Paul, talks about later. Um, But there is a connection between this holding fast to the faith, persevering, living life uh, faithfully and in allegiance to Jesus Christ, but doing it with the body of Christ, that this may not be as much of an individual effort as we may assume, that there's an individual component to the faith, but there is a profound and significant communal element. Indeed, the life of faith was designed to be lived out communally with the people of God. God designed this life of faith. God designed this Christian tradition. God designed this pilgrimage that we are on. Peter, throughout his writings, he uses the terminology that your pilgrims and your exiles and your sojourners, uh, you're those which journey throughout life never truly having a home just yet. You're those that go through life uh, really looking ahead to the life of the world to come and the new heavens and the new earth, that being your true home. And so therefore, this life of faith is a journey. This is a pilgrimage, but it was hardwired and designed by God to be lived out communally with one another. Lone wolf Christianity is completely outside the biblical framework of faith. It just doesn't exist. It's not there. Instead, we see this resounding call, press into relationships, live life together, embrace the body of Christ, encourage one another daily because there is a connection between the encouragement that leads to our softness of heart that guards us against apostasy. That the tenderness of our hearts that happens through encouragement by the body of Christ every single day keeps our hearts soft and pliable so that we can be receptive to what God's doing, so that we can say yes to him and no to sin, so that we can be tenderhearted and uh, surrendering what we have, not viewing our lives as our own that we're contriving and controlling, but instead viewing our lives as all things, O oh God, are yours. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Softness, it being done with the encouragement of the body. Uh, And it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews in particular, 
does not treat community as a cute add-on. I think at times in our lives of faith, you know, uh, in the church, we, we have like the main service and then we have these groups of age-specific ministries. And then there's like the small groups ministry that we view sometimes as, oh yeah, that's kind of an add-on. Yeah, those the meal groups and the times around the table, those are cute things if I have time for it. But the author of Hebrews says, press into community, lean in, not just standing up in a worship service and lifting our hands together and sitting up under the scriptures together, but there being more of a community of life day in and day out of encouragement, proximity every day. There being exchange between one another that uh, lends itself to the softening of our heart. And we see this theme pervade the New Testament. Uh, It's for this reason that James writes, confess your sins just to God. No, he says, confess your sins one to another. Exchange that you may be healed. It's why Jesus, when he prescribed the Lord's prayer to us, he didn't say, pray like this, my father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. If your kingdom could come in my life, that'd be great. Uh, If your will could be done in my relationships, that'd be really cool. But instead he says, our Father, the we of the faith. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, we, us, uh, plural pronouns that he's using here to demonstrate that this life of faith is not primarily individualistic in nature, but that there is a profound and deep and significant communal element that we must hold fast to and we must press in to. Are you with me? Well, let's kick this to the tables and and nuance and uh, talk through what this means for our lives of faith today. Uh, I want to talk through this question. What is significant to you about the reality that the life of faith was designed by God to be lived out in community? What stands out? What's significant? What's important? We're going to keep this discussion to about five minutes, and then we'll pick it up uh, then. Okay, so enjoy. Much love. Discuss. All right. So if this is the call, uh, and if this is the uh, interconnection into the life of faith, then how does this run against the grain of our lives? How does this idea create dissonance and tension in our lives? Well, we we talk about this often, but I think um, this so um, profoundly impacts Uh, to the detriment, our lives of faith, and that's individualism, this individualistic society in which we live. We live in a culture that the ideal is the individual way of life. And there's a value behind that because individualism allows you to run fast. Individual, individualism allows you to run unchecked. Individualism protects you from anything that doesn't feel good, right? If you're shut up and you're doing life on your own with no input from the outside, uh, then you don't have to hear people's concerns about the way you're living. Man, I don't know about these decisions you're making. Ooh, that doesn't feel good. And so we shut ourselves off and we run around fast and we want to do our thing and we, we, it's our world and we blaze the trail and what seems right to us is indeed the right way. Subjective truth, Right. And individualism, it, it, it just, it's the ideal of our society. And so easily, 
it can influence our life of faith without even us realizing it. We're just on autopilot in this individual culture in which we live. And individualism does allow you to run fast. And individualism does allow you to go unchecked and for you to be the Lord of your own life. But individualism has a, uh, a dire downfall to it. And that that's individualism uh, fosters uh, and um, breeds a coldness of soul. Individualism, by its very nature, it makes us grow cold on the inside. And as we embrace an individualistic way of life, there's a slow cooling that usually happens. And yes, we run fast, and yes, we blaze our own trail, and yes, we're doing life the way we want to live it, but it comes at a cost. And it's gaining the whole world, yet losing our soul. And it's allowing our hearts to be uh, uh, subject to a slow cooling and hardening to where we, we, we have a slow, uh, gradual mistrust of the people around us. We have a slow, arrogant assumption that our way and the way that we view our lives is really the right way. We have a slow suspicion towards tradition and the shoulders that we're standing on as millennials. There's a slow, gradual descent into coldness of soul. I remember, uh, you know, back in college, I was taking this uh, macroeconomics class at an unsaid university, okay? Because I don't, I don't want to throw this person under the bus. But uh, I was taking a macroeconomics class, and my professor in macroeconomics, I was a business major for like a year, and it was like the worst decision of my life. So I took out macroeconomics. And my, my professor, my gosh, would come in every single day, just like, you ever have professors like this where he's, he's looking for every reason to complain, like he's just, he's run down and he's like, class, hello, okay. You know, and he, he, macroeconomics, like for me at least is boring enough. But when you got a professor who's like extra salty on life, it, it's, it's pretty hard. But he came in and every single day, it was so sad, but it actually became comical because it was so consistent. Uh, he would come in and he would talk about how small his apartment was. And uh, how frustrated he was that he had to live on the south side of town instead of the north side. Um, how frustrated that he uh, ate, you know, in the words of Andy Bernard, ate pizza over the sink like a rat. Um, he, you know, and all of these different things of his life. And, and it was like, it was incredibly sad. And I'm not exaggerating here. He would just go on every single day, every chance he got, like find a crack in the door to just, well, like my apartment's only 200 square feet. And I was, oh, what? Like, I thought we were talking about capitalism. Like, why? What? And uh, every time, I mean, these comments, but what was interesting was that there became a pattern. It wasn't just circumstantially he would begin to vent, but it always, the, these, these big comments always came down to this very real human expression of loneliness. Uh, he would begin to say, I'm going back to my 200 square foot apartment alone and living alone. And I'm spending the weekend alone, and I'm doing this alone, and life, my family's all dead, and I don't have any friends, and all of this stuff. And again, like, it, it, it was kind of comical, but so sad. And the consistent theme of his life that he brought into the classroom, incredibly dysfunctional, dysfunctionally, might I add, is that he was, just, he was a lonely soul, that be it the circumstances of life or his own decisions, he was completely shut out from community. 
He was shut out from family. He was shut out from friends. He lived in a cocoon of his own life. He was a Ron Swanson who had his, uh, his, his shelter in the woods, right? And he's just that salty dude with a big old beard that just, you never know what he's going to say. But, you know, I, and sitting in that class, it made me wonder, man, this is what individualism does. And this is what, I, this is what isolation does. It cools the human soul, it allows us to see life differently in black and white instead of in color. Uh, it, it changes our perspective of what life is. Oh, my microphone's falling off. But compare that and contrast that to the times that we've all had uh, as the body where we sit with friends who are godly and who love us. And you guys have the richest conversations around the kingdom and scripture and you're, you're eating P.F. Chang's or you're eating Qdoba or you're eating noodles or you're eating Buffalo Wild Wings. I could go on and on and on. But these times where we're sitting together as the body, think about those times that are uh, so impactful and think about how it warms our soul. Think about these spaces where sometimes we come in tired and we come in cold and maybe some of us, uh, you know, wondered why we didn't hit the snooze button in the first place. But when we sit down at the tables and we start talking with one another and we start engaging and interfacing in what life looks like, there's a warmness that happens. There's an encouragement that happens. There's a bolstering of the soul that happens in the exchange of the body of Christ. And so individualism, as we live this life that is shut off from the voices of others, from the counsel of others, as we live life that's shut off from the encouragement of others, it just produces this weathered and coarse and cold soul. And the writer of Hebrews continually charges the people, press into this community, lean in, warm one another's hearts, protect one another from apostasy, protect one another by the deceitfulness of sin, by encouragement, lean into these relationships. This life of faith is not exclusively individual in nature. You have your decisions, yes. You have your own faith, yes. But yet the communal element is intricately bound up into this life of faith that we're called up into. And it's this way of living that the author of Hebrews says, do not forsake it. Some of you in this time in which he wrote, he said, some of you are forsaking the assembly together. Some of you have grown slack. Some of you, as you're looking for the day where the new heavens and the new earth are culminated and come uh, down to earth and to where we live, new creation life. Some of you are looking ahead to that day and stopping meeting together, but yet press into community all the more, gather as the body of Christ all the more, encourage one another all the more as you see that day approaching. And are we not seeing this day approaching? Uh, We are seeing all of these different things align in world history. And I'm not about to like stand up and say that we're, you know, uh, Jesus is going to come back tomorrow right? Or interpret revelation as, you know, a a certain way. But um, we're in the last days. If the writers of the scriptures themselves said that we were in the last days, we all the more so are. So we need to press into life together, the writer of Hebrews would say. So let's kick it to another discussion and talk about this. How have you seen your own individualism impede your ability or desire to press into godly relationships? How has this been a detriment? How have you seen your own life uh, of individualism impede this? So go ahead, talk about it. We'll take uh, about three minutes, and then we'll pick it up uh, in that time. All right, much love. All right, young adults.
So I think, um, you know, I, I know for me, my own individualism, this can translate as my own agenda and my own priorities in life, uh, my marriage, my kids, uh, my work in ministry. Um, you know, and those really, and, and they should take precedent and there should be priority, but those acting as the sand in which my head is buried under that can easily justify, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a little too busy to get lunch with this mentor and ask them to tell me um, what areas I need to work on. Or I'm, I'm a little too busy to really schedule coffee or breakfast with that person for me to ask questions and just glean from. I'm a little too busy to really make time uh, for like community and friendships. And, and I think just the agenda, if anything, of our lives and the pace of our lives can really act as a detriment. And it can be in the name of priority, in the name of values, but um, there's a balance because this can so easily become an individualistic way of life where we're all about what's here and what's in front of us. Um, but I think, you know, to, as we wrap up this morning, I think if we were to put into words a, a simple phrase that serves as the resounding call of Hebrews 10, it's this. The resounding call of Hebrews 10 is fight for connectedness. Fight for it. Uh, how many of you know that deep, robust, impactful community does not happen on its own? <laughs> We're adulting hard, people, right? Coffees have to make the calendars. Dinner has to make the calendars. Times to hang out that, you know, five or ten years ago, we could have just on a whim said, yeah, let's hang out. Now have to be scheduled? What? What an atrocious idea. I hate that. But it's the reality, and so, like, the resounding call of Hebrews 10, you know, as these believers were, were struggling with their life of faith, and as they were waning in zeal, and as they were drifting, uh, the writer is saying, fight for connectedness. Fight for those coffees uh, where you sit with your friend and talk about the grief that you're walking through because your mom was just diagnosed with cancer. Fight for those lunches with mentors where you say, here's my life, what do you see? Fight for those times where you press in to life together around a dinner table, breaking bread, maybe even sharing in communion together outside of a Sunday setting. Share in these times, fight for these times, be intentional with these times because this is the lifeblood of the Christian faith. This is what life together is all about. It's pressing into one another that doesn't happen by accident, but in intentionality and in a ferociousness, press into these relationships. And I think uh, some of the excuses we use are, uh, I'm, I'm sure you can guess, I'm too busy. Okay, well, stop being busy. Like, trim some stuff, right? Life doesn't just happen and you're caught up into it. Like, you have choices. Trim some things out of your schedule, out of intentionality to press into some community. Um, some other things are, it's just, it's just hard to make friends. And I get this one. But th I think this is why these spaces are so sweet. It's because people, we are around round tables with six people. I mean, this table, my gosh, you guys have like 20. I love it. Mega desk over here. But, you know, these are some sweet spaces capitalizing on these 
uh, opportunities to just say, hey, you want to get coffee? Like, let's, let's hit Chipotle after, uh, not after school, my gosh. My brain is coming unraveled after that mega desk comment. I got my mind on the office, right? Let's get Chipotle after church. Let's hang out. Let's get some coffee on Tuesday afternoon. Let's, you know, and pressing into these spaces and putting yourself out there a little bit. I think these, time and time again, when I sit uh, with us, as young adults, the times and the people who are, are saying, you know, I, I kind of just put myself out there and I got lunch with this person or I got coffee with this person. Those are usually the times where it starts burgeoning into this beautiful friendship that really came out of left field. But it takes ferocious intentionality. And we have to be careful that if we're not ferociously intentional, our lives can become head in the sand, individualism, what I got going on, what my life looks like, what my priorities are. But the writer of Hebrews says, wait a minute, fight for connectedness, fight for connection with the body of Christ, fight for encouragement, daily encouragement to soften our hearts and to bolster us up in our life of faith. Uh, I think sometimes we just make it harder than uh, what it truly is. And if we're intentional, then true community, true friendship, and this identity of us being the people of God can really take a beautiful kingdom shape among us. But the call is fight for connectedness. Amen? Let's pray. Father, let it be so with us. Let us be the people who fight for friendships. Let us be the people who say yes to encouraging one another daily. Let us be people who are leaning into the body of Christ around us and who gather together on Sundays and who worship together and who sit under the scriptures together, yes. But let us be people who outside of the four walls of the physical church, let us be the people who go out into the city and sit with one another and encourage one another and ask the hard questions and say the hard things and talk about grief and talk about sadness and talk about struggle and talk about sin. Let us be those people, God, who we confess our sin one to another, who we lean in to godly relationships. And as we do that, I pray that we would, uh, you would just bring us under the water level of kingdom life, that you would draw us deep and that we would see this beautiful uh, life that's on the table for us as we step into living together as the life of the body of Christ. Grant it, we ask, and we pray that as we go from here, would you give us peace? Would you give us grace? Would you give us life? Would you give us hope? And let us be salt and light in everything we do this week. As we go to the four corners of the city this week, in classes, in schools, uh, in, in marriages, in friendships, and in family. Let us be cities on a hill that cannot be hidden, beacons of light that showcase the life of Jesus Christ and the kingdom that is here and the kingdom that is coming. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen, amen.